you are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. Romans chapter 8, one of the most popular, famous passages or chapters in the Bible, especially in the book of Romans. This is such a powerful portion of scripture. Um, It's very, very difficult to preach this one chapter in one sermon. There's just way too much uh, to unpack and unfold in in just one message. And so uh, we touched uh, some on this last week. We are going to continue in Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, talking about the future is bright. Everybody say the future. We're talking about the future. If you're watching online, we welcome you. You can put that in the comments. The future is bright. And we're going to look at today how God has planned out the best future for us. And so, uh, parents, I'm glad to see you here today because this weekend is your favorite weekend. Amen. Where it's daylight savings and you got to increase that hour up by one hour and but you're here today so praise God for you double blessing on your life amen and uh, it's good to have you with us here parents as well uh, this morning and we got a little uh, you got a double whammy yesterday with some of that snow right mid-march it's I don't even know I can't explain it right and uh, it just happens but uh, we we're just excited about just what the future God has for for people and uh, have you ever tried to plan out your future before have you ever tried to plan out certain details and things. And um, have you ever tried to trick somebody before with a plan that you had? Um, I was reminded of this story uh, just recently when I went to a camp as a teenager. My friends and I, we were rooming together and at this camp. And uh, kind of like the, the game every time we would go to this camp would be to sneak past the security guards in the middle of the night go to the cafeteria and get the vending machines and start order and getting your drinks and your snacks and put it, get it in your room, right? That was like the game. Every year, we would come up with some game plan to get into that cafeteria. So that meant, uh, that meant you know, sneaking out this window that we had and, and running across this road and getting to the cafeteria uh, for the campground. And so uh, this one particular time, my friends had this plan. This is how this is how we're going to do it. We're going to we're going to get over there and we're going to get, you know, into the cafeteria. There's a door that's always unlocked. They, they knew which door was unlocked and they would get into the vending machines and get their stuff. And so they're collecting money. Two of my friends are going to go. They're collecting money from everybody. I, you know, by the grace of God, I, I don't know what it was. I just decided I'm not I'm not interested. I don't need anything tonight. Um, I'm good. And so they go out and they get caught. Okay, they uh, they get caught, and and so the the security guards are. I, we're watching this unfold. We can see like the conversations happening, and uh, they they the security guards are like, "Oh, you guys are getting some snacks. Go ahead, just go go right along. Get your get yourself some snacks." And and, and it's like twenty dollars worth of stuff. And for for a kid, that's you know that's expensive. That's a lot of stuff that they're getting. 
And so the, 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 my two friends are like, wow, like these security guards are super nice. And so they're, they're, they're letting us get the stuff at this hour of the night when we're supposed to be in our rooms and in bed. They're, they're letting us do this. And so they eventually are approaching our cabin. And on the cabin, uh, right before you enter like the cabin area, it says no food or drink beyond this point. And the security guards are walking my friends up to the door and they go, oh, guys, it says no food or drink beyond this point. I'm sorry, but I, I guess we're just going to have to take those off your hands for you. And so <laughs> the security, or my friends are just in shock. They're like, he, they just played us so bad. And so my friends are walking in defeat into the room and all the money had been wasted. And we had, they had supplied that security, those two security guards with plenty of drink and snack for that overnight shift. And they probably felt amazing. And my friends went to bed a little sad. Um, but we are so fortunate that the future God has for us is not any trick. Amen. And uh, this is such a, a powerful portion of uh, scripture that we're going to be looking at today from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, about the future that God has for us being bright. And so this start of this chapter has talked to us about uh, there being no condemnation. Paul, the apostle who was once a persecutor of Christians, is now a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. He was once trying to stop that message from spreading. Jesus transforms his life, and now he's trying to share this message for, for everybody to hear it. And so he's built it up to this point in Romans chapter 8, where he's talked and is talking to us about there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, you know, there's so much more to be uh, added to a believer. Life is, is given to them. Peace is given to them. Resurrection life and the spirit of adoption. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that spirit of adoption. What does that mean? Uh, Paul is going to bring that out, bring that up more in this passage of Scripture today. Um, and he's going to talk about all thing, a lot of things in the future, but also in the meantime, what, what is God doing in the meantime? How is he helping us with this future that he has for us? So we're going to be looking at this in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25 talking about the anticipation of future glory. Everybody say anticipation. Anticipation. Amen. Now, put that in the comments if you're watching online. Thank you again, once again, for joining us. We're going to look at this in verses uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation... For the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, but not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have first fruits of the Spirit grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So Paul starts right off in this passage about suffering in this present age. Now, let's clearly define suffering because sometimes people try to apply suffering when it's not suffering. Um, suffering is not when you fail to show up to work and you get in trouble. You are not suffering at the hand of your boss, okay? Your boss is disciplining you and giving you a consequence for not showing up to work, okay? 
Um, so suffering is when you do something or something happens to you that you didn't ask for. So we're talking physical sickness. We're talking disappointments. I mean, you're talking mistreatment, persecution in general for your faith, a number of different things, things that you didn't ask for. They just happened to you. OK, that is what we call the Apostle Paul calls suffering. Um, and so this is what Paul is saying is that he's been through a number of different things in life. And he considers it nothing compared to what is to come. The glory of God to be revealed, to be, to be in that presence of God and seeing his full glory is just going to overwhelm him and be amazing to him. It's just going to be so amazing. He's going to be so caught up in that. And he can't wait for that moment to be able to stand before God and, and to see it all. But here's what Paul has come to understand is that there is suffering in his life. He's experienced a number of different things. He's experienced shipwrecks where bad things have happened. He's experienced stoning, which he's been stoned to the point that the people who are actually stoning him thought he was dead. And so I have not been through that before, and I hope you've never been through that before. But how many know that is pretty painful to think that you've been stoned so much that you think or the people think you're dead, but you're not. I mean, that's he's been through a lot. And Paul, the apostle, has decided this. He's not going to feel sorry for himself, he's going to live in victory in Jesus Christ. He's going to live not being sorry for himself. He refuses to live that way. He wants to live in the freedom and the hope that is in Jesus Christ, and it builds his faith to continue on and moving forward. This is what Paul has come to know. This grace of God is so amazing that he says the present sufferings that I've gone through are nothing compared to what is to come. What he anticipates and what is to come. So Paul, the apostle, how does he explain this in other parts of the, the Bible? Is simply this, that he's learned that there are going to be times where he has a lot, and there are going to be times when he has a little. And this is what he says, and most people, a lot of people know this passage of Scripture, Philippians 4, 13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you have heard that Scripture before, right? It's a very popular Christian Scripture that is mentioned often. The point of that scripture, though, is coming from verse 12, where he says this, that, that as he looks at his life, he's learned to have uh, plenty, and he's learned to have not a whole lot. He's been in need. But he says, I've learned the secret to being content, whether I've had a lot or a little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, the secret to my contentment is in Jesus Christ, not in stuff. He's learned it. He's had a lot. He's had a little. He's, had, he's been educated. He's had incredible education. And he says the secret to all of life, being content in this life, is understanding not what you have, but who's with you. Jesus is with me. And he says, if Jesus is all I have, Jesus is all I need. Jesus will use my a lot. Jesus will use my little. He will use anything that I offer to him. But you have to offer it to him because otherwise he can't do anything with it. You have to freely give it to him. You have to give of your resources in order for God to use your resources. You have to give of your time if you want God to do something amazing in your life. You have to give him your life in order for you to experience salvation in Jesus Christ. You have to do something in order to receive it. And Jesus will come through on that. Now, this is important because there's so many things the world is chasing after and the anticipation of it, you think it's going to provide some contentment of it in your life, but it doesn't. It's false. It doesn't fill the void in your life. 
the book of Ecclesiastes, an Old Testament book, Solomon, King Solomon, the third king of Israel, considered to be the wisest man to have ever lived. Smart. And so many people came to just hear him speak and hear his wisdom. The whole book of Ecclesiastes talks about how he's done so much in this life. He's pursued after so much. He's built things. He's built structures. He's, he's gained wealth for himself. He's provided peace to his kingdom. He's done a number of different things. And he comes to the terms of looking at it and saying, it's all meaningless. All of it. And he says, I'm chasing after the wind. Because he got so convinced with the same things people get convinced today. I just got to do more. Do, do, do. So that I can have some kind of contentment in my life. Jesus taught us the opposite. It's not about doing. It's about being. It's about being in the presence of God and letting him speak over you. Letting him transform your heart. So out of your heart comes the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all about the overflow from the heart. What is coming from the heart. And so many people get focused on doing things, thinking that's going to provide some kind of contentment in their life, that they're going to be finally satisfied with that house or finally satisfied with that car or finally satisfied with their job or their promotion if they get it. All these different things that they look at and they say, if I finally just get that, it's going to provide some help for me and it's going to provide some contentment. I won't have to worry about that anymore. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about you doing more. It's about you being who I've called you to be. It's about resting in my love, resting in my grace. Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content. It's Jesus Christ. I've learned it. And he's had to learn it the hard way. So many people will continue to chase after the wind, Solomon says. They will chase after it. They will chase after approval. They'll never get it. Because they haven't rested in his love. When you rest in his love, you realize God already approves you. He already loves you. He's already died for you. He's already done that for you. So there's nothing that you can do that is going to make him love you more or love you less. He loves you, period. It's it. It's so powerful what Paul has come to know. In verses 19 through 21, he gets into some details about creation itself, about humanity. This is so important to catch because we are living in a fallen world. Paul has mentioned this in and already in the book of Romans, how the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden has impacted humanity as a whole. Romans 3 talks about for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We are not sinners because we have sinned. We are naturally sinners, so it comes out of us. It just comes out. I didn't wake up one day as a 10-year-old and sinned and then, and then came to the conclusion, oh, I must be a sinner because I've now finally sinned. No, 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 no. Paul says it's not that way. It is you are naturally a sinner, so it comes out all the time. And so Paul has mentioned that over and over and over. Now he's bringing us to the point of what creation is experiencing itself. Sin has not only impacted humanity, it's impacted the world. It's impacted everything. It's impacted plants, animals, you name it. The world itself. The world is going through growing pain. So it's not talking about here humanity when he talks about creation. It's talking about the things that are provided for us on this earth. It is going through painful things. And it says it's, it's hoping from the moment where the, everything will finally be restored back to its original purposes. And that's what creation is doing. It's hoping for that moment. It's waiting for that moment. 
But in the meantime, we wait. And, there, and creation itself is waiting to be liberated from this original purpose. And so as we look at this, we've looked at this in Romans 7, but it talks about the, the cycle of sin, really what Paul is mentioning. And he, he talks about the cycle of sin. People try to you know, do their very best, try to overcome sin, try to overcome their problems, their struggles all on their own. And Paul says, I've been through that. It doesn't work. And he explains the cycle of sin. And then at the very end of Romans 7, he says, who's going to save us from this kind of mess? And he says, thanks be to God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, he has come to a conclusion. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus came to earth and interrupted the cycle of sin. He interrupted the cycle. So that you and I, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he's interrupted the cycle of sin. And he's going to rescue you from that. And as you live as a believer, as you live, you are constantly putting sin to death in your life. Because Paul says in Romans 6, sin will not be my master. So I interrupt the cycles of my sin because I don't want to live in it any longer. It's such a powerful thing that Paul has come to teach us. And as we look in this in the second part of Romans uh, 8, chapter 8 verses 22 through 25. I'm sorry, mom's in the room, but he brings up probably a painful experience for you, but he brings up the whole idea of childbirth, right? Paul says that it's, he's using an illustration here about childbirth, and it's not a pleasant experience, right? But how many know after the experience is over, after you hold that child in your hands, there produces all this kinds of joy, Right? So Paul is talking about how creation itself is waiting to be liberated. So at the moment, it's painful for creation. It's painful for humanity. But in one moment, it will be liberated. And there will be joy. There will be peace. There will be original design back in order again because of what Jesus has done for us. And this is such a, a powerful concept as we look at this. And so as we Look at this whole idea. He talks about a number of different things. He talks about the adoption. So what does adoption mean as what he's talking about? Well, I believe he's, he's mentioning, since he's writing to Roman Christians, that he is, in his mind, he is thinking through the, the way Romans adopt children. So in Rome, this is what would happen, is that they would pick a child, they would adopt them into their family, Everything that the family has is now considered that child's as well. But here's the, the crazy thing that would happen with the adoption process. Once that's finalized, once that child is now given the name of that family and is now receiving everything that comes with it, the blessings of the Roman culture, they eliminate the past history of that child. It's all gone, erased. So do you see what... Paul is trying to say, when we are adopted into the family of God, guess what gets erased? Your sin. Your past. Gone. It's completely erased from God's memory. He's saying, well, Pastor Bobby, how can, we, how can we forget? You can't forget. God can. The scripture is very clear. He says he forgives and forgets. He can do stuff over and over and over again, you'll see in the Bible, he can do stuff that you and I can't do. Why? Because he's God. And we're not. We're human. And that's such a, a wonderful thing to know that when I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, the past history, the things I'm not proud of, even though I can't forget it, God says, I can. And I erase it. 
Because of why? Because of what Jesus has done for you. Where he, where what he's done for me. And so it's so amazing to know that when we are adopted into the family of God, when we choose to follow Jesus, all these gifts come into play. We have seen these gifts over and over and over. And so in the meantime, we wait for it patiently. How I many you love that word patience, right? Such a beautiful word. I hate praying for patience. You know why? Because guess what God's going to do? He's going to put you in a situation where you have to show patience. He's going to bring you somebody where you have to show patience. He's going to put you in that situation where you are going to be tested on your patience, right? It's like, it's, so, it's such a, an amazing thing to, to learn about, but it's so hard to live out. And so as we look at this, we wait for it patiently. So when we're in the presence of God, when we live being what God has called us to be, rather than trying to do stuff all the time, we realize this, that it's out of our being, things flow out of us, actions flow out of us, emotions flow out of us. You know, we get excited about being in the presence of God. We get excited about different things that God is doing. We, we change our perception. This is what Jesus is doing for us. And so it's so important that we wait for it patiently. So as we wait for it patiently, because I know we're excited about the word patience, what does God do in the meantime? We're going to talk about this. He provides provision during our waiting. Everybody say provision. Uh, put that in the comments if you're watching online. Provision. It's a powerful word. So here's, here's what's going to happen in verses 26 through 30. He says this, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For, that, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And so the Spirit of God, Paul has brought this up several times already in Romans, about the Spirit of God coming into the hearts and the lives of believers. Those who decide to follow Jesus, make that decision, the Spirit of God begins to work in you and lives in you. That's what Paul has very clearly shown us. Jesus has shown us that too. And so at this moment, what is going to happen is the Spirit of God is going to go intercede on your behalf. You have a helper, Jesus called him. You have a helper. So this is the encouraging thing to know when it comes to this, because it says on behalf of groans that words cannot express, but it says, he who knows the mind of the Spirit. So who is he talking about? God. God knows the mind of the Spirit. So guess how the Spirit is helping you. Have you ever approached a situation or somebody that you want to pray for and you don't know exactly how to pray for them? You don't know how to pray for the situation, right? You're just, I don't know what to say. I've never been through this. I've never experienced this. I've never heard of this before. Like, what am I supposed to say? How many times, how many you just have, you can't speak, you can't communicate what you want to say because you just don't know. This is the good news when it comes to approaching God through prayer is that you don't have to pray something exactly, perfectly the way you think it should be so that God will actually receive what you're trying to say to him. It says the spirit will help us in our weakness and he who knows the mind of the spirit this is what it's saying. He's interceding on your behalf. So what is, the, what is the Spirit doing? He is helping communicate to God what you and I fail to communicate. 
Talk about the grace of God. He is communicating things to God that you and I fail at communicating. We can't explain it. We can't express it enough. And so we're trying our very best. Paul is saying, for those who think they have to perfectly pray a prayer in order to receive something from God, stop. You're putting so much pressure on yourself, not realizing that your hope and your, the love that is being poured out on you is from God himself. You, you don't have to be a perfect person to pray to God. How many of you are thankful for that, right? He is saying, though God knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows the mind of the Spirit. And so he's going to help you in your weakness, what you cannot do. He's going to provide his grace to communicate it. So we know this, the Spirit of God has been put on this planet for us to communicate to God things that we fail or lack our intelligence level. We can't seem to connect and, and say it the right way, whatever. The Spirit will help us in your weakness. In the same way, Jesus is in heaven interceding on our behalf. So guess what? You have intercessors. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus Christ, the Son, interceding on your behalf. As I explain this, this is why I, I'm just like, I want people to know about this. Because he is constantly pouring out his grace upon people over and over and over. So he's interceding on our behalf. Because God is looking at your heart. He's not looking at your intelligence level and how you communicate perfectly. He's not looking at that. He's looking at your heart. I mean, this is a good reminder in Luke chapter 18. I'll summarize it. Jesus tells a story about what God sees and what God hears. You have a Pharisee who's well-educated, good person by the world's standards, praying to God, communicating this intelligent prayer towards God. And then you have this tax collector who's worse than what they would call a sinner. You had the, the phrase that was often saying, Jesus would sit with tax collectors and sinners. So tax collectors didn't even make the sinner category. They were actually worse, right? And so there's a tax collector approaching God, and it says, Jesus says this, the tax collector couldn't even look to heaven. So ashamed of himself. And he just says, God, forgive me. I'm a broken man. Jesus says, the tax collector went home justified. The tax collector's prayer was heard. Because why? Because Jesus was looking at the heart of the individual. Not his intellectual capabilities to be able to communicate something perfectly to God so that somehow the, this magical thing starts to happen. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't pray. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you pray, the Spirit of God will supply what you lack. And I am so thankful for that. That I can have somebody interceding on my behalf. If you have kids and you've had to order food before for them, right? They are not able to communicate because if it was up to them, you know exactly what they would order. Nothing healthy, right? And so you are trying to provide a balance into their life and helping them choose the correct foods and exactly the drink that they need because, you know, trying to load them up with caffeine or sugar is probably not a good idea all the time, right? And so you have to help them, right? My son, he's getting smart. Isaiah, he's five. He gets smarter and smarter. I'm, you know, doing something, and all of a sudden I hear the screeching of a chair. And I know exactly what that kid is doing. He is pushing it up to the cabinet where he knows where all the good stuff is. And, he, and 
And so I'll come down there and I'll just be like, Isaiah, what are you doing? He's like, he just looks at me and he's like, oh, I'm hungry. And so, so then I have to go through the problem. Okay, well, here, here's the selection that you get to choose from. And I know that he may not like that selection, but it's a good selection that I know that he needs to have at that moment, right? And so understanding that we have a, a God who's providing things for us to intercede on our behalf is monumental, is monumental. God is working above and beyond what you and I could ever do and what you and I could ever communicate. Such incredible grace Paul has come to know. And it's found through Jesus Christ. This is what he has come to know through all of this. In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, as we look at this, he, he mentions some things that unfortunately have, have, you know, a lot of times people have debated over these topics, but I think it sometimes is taking away from what Paul is really trying to get across here. Because it's all about the future here. Paul is saying, I'm trying to explain to you what is to come in the future and what God is currently providing for you. Because there are things that are happening, but, but there are also things that have not technically happened yet because you're not standing before God, right? Salvation has been experienced for you on this earth if you've, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. But salvation is still at work in you, and it's not fully technically completed until you stand before God, for example. That's one example I can give you. God is going to complete it. But in the meantime, God is providing you signs and promises throughout your life to remind you that you can trust him with what he has told you and what you have experienced. It is real. It is not fake. It is a guaranteed hope. It is not just this wishful thinking. No, it's guaranteed. Paul says you will experience things in life that will remind you over and over and over his promises are yes and amen. They are true. And so as we look at this, this is what Paul will mention. He'll say, for those who've got foreknew. Now, this is a, another word that is used. Foreloved is another used. Is a, another word that gets used. Foreloved. So what, what it's basically saying is this. God is choosing who to pour out his love on. So who's God pouring his love on? Well, John 3, 16, one of the most popular scriptures in all the Bible. For God so loved the world. So he is loving the world. So he chose to pour out his love on humanity. He chose that. So for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to conform us to the image of his son. What is Jesus? What is, what is God trying to do? He's conforming us to the image of his son. Romans 7, again, the cycle of sin. Jesus comes and interrupts that cycle. So what is Jesus doing? He's conforming us to this image of who he is. So in this life, we are putting sin to death in our life why? Because we're conforming to the image of his son. Now, people have gone beyond what is written here. They take predestination as saying predetermined. It's not what that is. I, God is not going around in this room and looking at all of you and predetermining whether you go to heaven or hell. He's not looking at you and going, well, hell, heaven, hell, heaven. Mm, we'll give that guy heaven. We'll give that, mm, we'll give that guy to hell. You know, he's not going around predetermining your life and saying, well, they probably should go to heaven. No, that person should probably go to hell. You know, he's not doing that. He's not drawing things out of a hat. That's not what he's saying here. He is telling you what is to come in your destiny for those who believe in him. He is saying, these are the things that you have waiting for you. Such a powerful thing. Waiting for you on the other side is everything finally completed for you. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you are predestined for glory. You are predestined 
for, for being holy, being blameless, being righteous, being faithful before God. All these things are happening for you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. He has all these things waiting for you. He has such a, an amazing inheritance for you. He's adopted you as a child of God. All these things are happening all the time, and they're to come. He is saying, this is what you're predestined for because of what you decided to do, but also what Jesus came to do. And this is such a, a powerful concept to come to know. I'm going to have the band come at this time. But because of all this, God says, you can trust me. You can trust me. Some of us are having a time, hard time trusting with God. It's not that you don't trust him with your life. It's just there's a situation you don't trust him with. Because it's not playing out the way you thought it should play out. Well, let the words of Romans 8.28, one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible, tell you this. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. Before you came to know Jesus, you probably made a lot of decisions you're not proud of. But guess what? That word all applies to that too. He says, I will even use the shameful things in your life and bring about a greater purpose through it all. Paul was a persecutor of Christians, tried to stop Jesus Christ and the message of that from spreading. And now God is working for the good, even in Paul's failures. Once a person who was trying to stop it is now proclaiming it to the world. And is so determined, he's willing to go to Caesar in Rome to proclaim it. You talk about a man that's bold and does not care if he lives or dies. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He is willing to go to the most powerful individual in the whole entire world and say, Jesus is God. And Jesus is is the Messiah, and he's the king. He's willing to do that. What produces that in somebody? He's resting in who Jesus called him to be. It's not about doing with Paul. Do, 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 do. He followed that philosophy of thought over and over and over, and he says, it left me empty inside. He says, I've learned the secret to being content. For, for Jesus Christ is all I need in this life. Whether I have a lot or a little. Jesus is all I need. And that's such a, a powerful scripture today is that you and I get to experience his glory. This is so powerful because he says, I've called, I've justified, and I've glorified you. I got a little uncomfortable with that word. <laughs> glorified. Me? God, I'm a mess. I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm broken. And then I felt like God just speak to me. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to see what I see. I want you to be who I've called you to be. I want you to do what I do. And I want you to experience the very things I experience all the time. When God put that in my heart, man, it blew me away. God, you literally want me to build your church. Yes. And you get to do things and to be things 
and to experience things that he gets to experience all the time. And Paul is saying that is amazing. Why? Because of his grace that he pours out on people and he pours out on you. You get to feed the hungry. You get to share your story about how Jesus changed your life and even correct people at times because I've had people saying, Pastor Bobby, you changed my life. I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't transform anybody's heart. I didn't transform your life. Jesus transformed your life. He's just choosing to use me to bring glory to his name. We have to be careful of receiving glory that actually belongs to him. God has given us gifts and blessings all over the world. But there are people all the time who are receiving glory from themselves rather than giving glory to the one who gave them the gifts and the talents in the first place. It's about not glorifying yourself. It's about glorifying his name. Because he's the one that's done all the heavy lifting for us. Paul is saying this, this life that you have given me, the influence I have, I don't deserve any of it, but I give glory to you because you deserve all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, because you've done all the heavy lifting for me, and all I get to do now is just be who you've called me to be. I get a rest in your love. I get the rest in your grace. I get the rest in the fact that you will look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant, and I know I don't deserve to hear that word faithful declared over my life. Paul is blown away. So he chooses us. He glorifies us. You know how he glorified Jesus? He humbled himself. Jesus did. He humbled himself, put himself on the cross. Because he lowered himself, God glorified him through the death on the cross and the resurrection from the grave. In the same way, when you come to know Jesus, the key is the very word Jesus said to do. Repent. People don't like that word. They look at it offensively. I choose the opposite. I perceive it the way I think Jesus meant for people to see it. Repent is you laying all down and saying, thank you, Jesus. It's not based on me, but it's based on you. And thank you for doing all the heavy lifting for me. So I will gladly repent because it takes the pressure right off for me trying to be something I'm not, trying to do something that you've never told me to do in the first place. I just get to rest and who you've called me to be as a child of God, to build your church, to do that whatever way, shape, or form, whatever that looks like, whatever gift or, or things I lack in my life, I know your grace will be enough and supply what I need for those moments so that the kingdom of God can expand all over the world. Paul says, this is what I've come to know and understand. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If you're here this morning, and you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, remember this, this is what Jesus said to do. The first thing he said to do was to repent. Humble yourself before God and confess with your mouth he is Lord and believe in your heart he's risen from the dead. You will be saved. The Bible is very clear. How you perceive that word repentance is so important because if you look at it in a negative sense, you're believing a lie. And I'm here to help you through the power of God to unlock your mindset about that word. No, it's not, a, it's not a terrible word to think of at all. There's actually power in it. There's something that you'll receive as a result of it. 
all these gifts and blessings that are mentioned in Romans that Paul has brought up will now be yours. Because you are saying, Lord, it no longer depends on me and what I do and what I don't do. All of it belongs to you. All belongs to you, Jesus. And I give you glory with my life. And that's what this is all about. So prayer teams, if you can, come forward at this time. If you're here today and you need provision, this is one of the things I felt the Lord put on my heart for people who need provision. Today, you don't have joy and you want joy. Come receive prayer today. If you are going through situations, difficult at work, difficult at home, you need wisdom, ask God for wisdom. James 1.5, one of my favorite scriptures. If any of us lacks wisdom, he, ha- he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. You don't have to pray a perfect prayer to receive wisdom from God. You just have to ask. You just have to ask. And he says, I will give generously to all. If you're here today and you need just help with resources, you're, you're struggling financially, you need God's help, be prayed over today. I've said this several weeks ago. It's one thing to hear that people are praying over you. It's another thing when you actually hear the very words that are being praying over you. When you hear what they are actually praying over your life, it builds your faith, builds your hope, it brings peace, it brings joy, it lets you know God is here and he's with you. It's casting down lies that you believe maybe in your mind and in your heart. And it's removing that out of your life And it starts to build your faith and give you hope again in those situations you're walking through. Amen. If you need prayer today, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, what I would have you do is come forward. Tell one of these prayer partners that are up here saying, hey, I want to receive Jesus today. Can you just pray for me? They'll gladly do that. If you need provision today for an area of your life, come forward and just say, hey, I just need provision over this particular part of my life. They'll pray over you. Amen. If you would like to come for prayer, please do so. Interrupt the cycle. You're facing something, interrupt the cycle. It's not working out the way you thought it should work out. Interrupt that cycle with the power of Jesus Christ. And be prayed over, be spoken over, the words of faith, so that your faith is built. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, that you have the best plan for our future. Lord, we couldn't have planned it any better. Lord, you are the the King of all kings, the Lord of lords. You are the wise one. Lord, you have so much wisdom to pour out on your people. You have so much joy to give us. You have so much love to give us, and you freely give it to us. Lord, I pray this week, God, that we would be your church. Lord, let your glory be shown in and through us. And Lord, let us point people to you through our lives and the actions and the words we say. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Lord, provide for your people today those who need resources, those who need wisdom, those who need joy or whatever the situations they're walking through. God, we know that you desire to supply them with what they need, even if they're not able to fully communicate it in a way that they can fully express to you. God, you supply what they lack through your spirit. We thank you for that. We walk out of here today in victory, not defeat. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Walk in victory today. If you need prayer, you can come forward at the end here. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great afternoon. God bless you.